to Star Wars Escape Pod. I'm your host, Josh, and we have Blake joining us again this week with a special guest. Uh, the two of us have on um, Jess from the Boba Fett Fan Club. And for those of you who don't know what the Boba Fett Fan Club is, uh, give it a quick Google search and you can find them on pretty much all forms of social media, as well as their website, which is BobaFettFanClub.com. And uh, they've been they've been around since 1996, and the founder Aaron was kind enough to send Jess our way to chat all about the legacy of this character, the recent documentary that came out on Disney Plus under the helmet, and so much more. Book of Boba Fett and everything. Let's get into it. landing yeah how you doing jess nice to meet you you too likewise and i'm so you are both i am josh uh and uh this is uh blake um this is our uh uh we we just Hello. host the show and uh <laughs> yeah so uh i i actually when i reached out to uh is it aaron yep founder, aaron. yeah okay mm-hmm. so when i reached out to aaron uh, i was thinking like man like you know Bo- book of boba fett's around the corner and and we got this like documentary coming out and everything like uh uh, you know, I wonder if it's a good idea maybe to, to chat with someone uh, who's kind of more a little more familiar with uh, not only the character, but the fan base behind the character and just to chat with them about the legacy that this character's kind of left behind. And I thought it was a really good timing with this Disney Plus documentary coming out. But uh, did you want to start by maybe sharing about uh, what you do at uh, the Boba Fett fan club? So the Boba Fett fan club has uh, a pretty special place in my heart. As far as fandom goes, it was one of the first internet forums that I can remember signing up for when I was in high school. So this was well over 10 years ago. And the Boba Fett fan club just recently celebrated its 25th anniversary. So it's been around for quite a while. And uh, yeah, yeah, I was um, I was in high school when I, I signed up. So I've known Aaron, the founder of the Boba Fett fan club, all of that time as well. We've um, we've met in person once, I think. Just, just the one time um, we happened to be in LA at the same time where, where he lives, I was visiting the area. Uh, but in terms of like my involvement with the site, I joined as a fan, just someone who was on the message boards, and I was pretty active. And so for a while, I was a moderator on the forums, just you know being someone who would keep conversations going and looking out for you know the sort of things that you're supposed to look out for as a moderator, which. Uh, you know, our, I think our community is a pretty good group of folks. It wasn't like banning people. It was just more of like keeping keeping conversations in check and making sure there wasn't like repeat topics and things like that. Right. Um, I've penned a couple articles for the B, BFFC over the years. And um, along with Aaron recently, we launched a, a survey earlier this year probing on the state of Boba Fett fandom. So in my professional career, I am a researcher uh, by trade and uh, have the the training academically as well to do research. And 
offered to provide Aaron with, I guess, uh, my research services. Uh, I guess you could put it that way. And I, I kind of approached Aaron with the idea at the beginning of 2021. Yeah, the beginning of this year, I was like, hey, wouldn't it be interesting to do a survey with Boba Fett fans and get a better sense of like how long people have been fans and what's been a trend, like what are the reasons why they're interested in this character and so on and so forth. So we uh, released some of the preliminary findings from that survey in August. And I imagine since then, the, the survey has continued to get additional responses. And one thing we're looking at doing, hopefully in the not too distant future, is also running some interviews with fans. Because with mm -hmm. an interview, obviously, you can dig deeper than a survey. Like with a questionnaire, you can kind of scratch the surface and get some, an overall sense of trends and patterns. But um, with a, a series of interviews, you can obviously dig a little deeper and get to know the fans a bit better. Yeah. Uh, well, in a perfectly timed survey with Book of Boba Fett around the corner and, and the results are fascinating. What really uh, surprised me was the amount of people who had first been introduced to this character um, by uh, A New Hope. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can see why that why that would be surprising at first. But if you think about our, you know, fans who are at all, you know, all stages of, of life, I guess you could say, um, I like, honestly, like my first exposure to Boba Fett was probably in A New Hope as well with the special edition releases that came out in theaters in the, in the 90s. So when you have fans who were, who were maybe too young or not born yet for the original trilogy, having the, the theatrical re release with the special edition, I think is, is absolutely, uh, I guess, a, a gateway for getting introduced to Boba Fett because, of course, in A New Hope, he wasn't originally in the film, but in the special edition, there's that brief scene where he kind of mugs the camera. And I know it's a little controversial, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that. <laughs> yeah, you know, that that scene, I am. Um... Personally, it just it, it doesn't bother me too much. It, you know, George's movies just kind of he does what he does with them. And and uh, the special editions and the Blu-rays and this and that, they all kind of came out as I was growing up as well. So uh, it didn't I wasn't really emotionally attached to kind of one version necessarily. Um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, that's just my take on it. And yet um, I always I always forget about that first little that, that cameo appearance like that he has in a new hope. I just, it, it, um, it never seems to stick in my memory. And every single time that I watched that movie or that version, I guess, uh, he pops up and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. Like I, I, I totally forgot he was in this movie. So these would also be the versions that are on Disney plus for anyone out there who watches star Wars on, on Disney plus. Yeah, precisely. I, I guess it it is the the new canon, right? Since then, since they were created and since they were released, it's it's been the new canon. And like it or not, it's there. Did you watch the the documentary? Um, yeah, under the helmet. Under the helmet. Yeah. How did you like that? I enjoyed it. It made me even more excited for the upcoming book of Boba Fett, of course, which I think was the intention. Right? Was to get people hyped and excited, almost like an extended teaser trailer of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Almost like uh, how they do those Marvel Legends movies, uh, or they're like almost like episodes, I guess, like the six or seven minute character profile videos where they kind of recap what Hawkeye was doing, you know, and, and then a couple weeks later, they drop Hawkeye. And uh, they, they launched the Marvel Legends show with Wanda and Vision, I believe. And uh, that was right before WandaVision came out. And uh, they've kind of persistently been doing that. And then they did 
Black Widows right before they launched Black Widow. And so they've been kind of recapping what happened in the MCU and phases one through three all the way through Infinity War, uh, just kind of saying like, hey, yeah, this is what that character's done and been up to. And and then boom, like we got a whole bunch of whack of content coming out for that character. So uh, it makes sense for them to kind of replicate that same uh, algorithm with with Star Wars as well. But Star Wars fans are different. We don't need a recap of, you know, what happened to Boba Fett. And, you know, if you were to count all the comics and books and everything, it would just be a lot. So uh, their way of doing it is this nice, nostalgic kind of documentary thing. And uh, it's 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 great. It's really cool. There's a lot you can learn from it. It's not that long. It's only like about like 22 minutes or something like that. But if anyone hasn't seen that out there that are listening, just, you know, go and watch it. It's it's awesome. Okay, we'd like to introduce Boba Fett. Can you speak to us, Boba? Certainly. You didn't know who he was. You didn't know where he came from. Because he didn't get much screen time. When he put the costume on and walked onto the set, absolute silence. You said, whoa, who is that? Despite his lack of screen time, next to no dialogue, he's everywhere. The world was ready for this bounty hunter. Under the Helmet, The Legacy of Boba Fett. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. What I thought was really interesting is I, I grabbed a couple highlights from this thing, and um, I thought it was it was funny that they said Boba Fett's been in uh, the original trilogy a whole of six minutes and thirty two seconds. I don't know if that counts the cameo and the re releases, but um, but you know I, I assume that's maybe just the original theatrical releases. But um, not a lot of time that this character showed up, and it's just it blows me away every time I think about it that. Six minutes and 32 seconds with a character that didn't have that much dialogue um, has created this uh, entire, like, almost the spin-off fandom, uh, as well as the Mandalorian culture has, like, just kind of been built on this one appearance of this one character. And it's like, uh, it's like thinking about the MCU and then there's the Spider-Man franchise, you know, it's like, in itself, that character carries so many movies and its own kind of media properties and merchandise and everything like that. And Boba Fett is kind of like that character in Star Wars. He's like this one character is like, oh, yeah, people, people, people love Boba Fett. They might not have seen all Star Wars movies, but they love Boba Fett. And uh, he's just cool. He's a cool guy and everyone wants to be him. It's like uh, it's like Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story. You know, he's the guy with the the wings and the cool gadgets and and all that stuff. So, um you know, it I think me away. Dave Filoni in that same interview or in that the Disney documentary really said it like, I think, correctly. And it's just the power of the design of Boba Fett. Like he just looks so cool that yeah. even if he only had six minutes of screen time, he's so memorable. Right. Yeah. 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 Totally. Between that and like the medieval uh, T-visor helmet and the spurs. From, spurs. Like, the yeah. Culture. Yeah. He's just like something totally totally new and you know putting myself in like the shoes of someone who's never seen star wars before uh when you watch that first movie um you know without the the cameo appearance on tatooine with him standing there with jabba and everything um uh, if you just watch the original release he's not in the film and then you watch the next one and uh you can totally feel that the budget was higher in empire but uh beyond that just the the creative kind of visual aesthetic of some of the things that they put in that movie uh really expanded the galaxy like so much more because it went from just being one movie to being two movies with so much more now in that universe and uh and boba fett adds so much you know like uh there wasn't the character that looked or or talked or acted like that guy before yeah, precisely i would 
I think there's a lot of storytelling that you just get, a, you get a sense of storytelling when you look at Boba Fett, like from that, from the armor, from that costume, there's yeah. a, there's a character to the armor and the costume itself that, you know, if you look at a stormtrooper, which is like very pristine and just, you know, the standard grade, you know, grunt of the empire, you get the, like that visually comes across, but then you compare that to Boba Fett where it's like just a complete canvas of, you know, these interesting, the interesting battle damage, uh, the like the Wookiee braids, or as they've been called, I don't know if that's been retconned to something else, but I remember it's a good question. for a while they were called <laughs> Wookiee braids. And there's just all of these little, you know, everywhere you look, there's these little details that seem to like tell you something. Like there's a bit of a, a scavenger vibe and um, that comes across as well. And I think that was probably a, the original intent for the armor to kind of look uh, like it was kind of crafted here and there through, you know, various adventures throughout space. But of course, over, over time, that was, of course, uh, of course, the armor became the Mandalorian armor and it has a very clear, uh, very clear origins. And it's not just scavenged per se, as it, you might, you know, that might be the impression you get, but, in any case, it, it, I think there's that storytelling element where you look at a character like Boba Fett and you just want to know more. And I, that was that was my experience. Like as a te- like I don't like the, my first vivid memory of Boba Fett is when I was a teenager and I was rewatching the original trilogy on DVD when it first came out. Like it was a big deal when Star Wars, the original trilogy first came out on DVD. I remember me and my brother got the set for Christmas that year. And so, of course, I had seen Star Wars growing up. And of course, I had seen Boba Fett before that, but as a teenager, rewatching the films and like really understanding the story from you know beginning, middle, and end for the first time for the original trilogy, um, I saw that character and I was like, "Wow, who is he? Like, I want to learn more." And that's when I turned to the the books and the comic books and just had all of these fantastic, rich stories to dig into. And, you know, got to answer my question, like the questions that I had about Boba Fett could be answered. And I think that's the power of, you know, a big multimedia franchise like Star Wars. Now, of course, all of that, that lore is now Legends, it's no longer canon, which we could get into. That's probably a whole separate po- podcast, oh, right? Yeah. Um, but but me, we've been down that yeah, road. Yeah, you've been yeah, down, down that rabbit hole and you could go down it several times, I'm sure. Uh, but I think that's the beauty of a franchise like Star Wars or even the MCU, right? There's all these different characters. And if there's one that like really strikes your curiosity or imagination, chances are you can you can go down that rabbit hole and learn more. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And uh, the fact that you just um, when you started with with that, you know, um, you're talking about the difference between him and a stormtrooper. It's interesting that you know the design of him was intended to be a stormtrooper at one point uh before empire started filming and uh he was intended to be this this super trooper uh kind of design and and then there's like uh george like i guess there's no budget for this so you know let's just make him a guy you know um so (laughs) i think it's it's funny that like uh i guess you just when you're doing a movie like that you know things just evolve a certain way but it's funny that the character of boba fett and this entire race of characters um has just come out of this accidental like oh this was this elite stormtrooper and now it's not yeah <laughs> it's funny because george never throws out an idea because yeah, yeah. He, he was like supposed to be a stormtrooper and they're gonna have a hundred of them on screen right couldn't afford yeah. it and we got the animated series and we have a hundred mandalorians on screen <laughs> 
So he got it in the end anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's the one that's one beauty about anything that's done at Lucasfilm, like whether it's the concept art or something in a script or whatever, nothing ever gets thrown away. And and you know, we've seen it countless times where things have come back and uh or they've been changed and they kind of evolve a little bit in the story to kind of fit its own purpose in there. And um, it's so it's so great to see some of these things that, uh, you know, just talking about EU and all that stuff. Um, it's great to see some of these things coming back in the canon. Um, I mean, like we've been reintroduced to the canonical version of, of Thrawn and, um, you know, various other characters, Maul with the robotic legs and stuff. I mean, which first showed up in this uh, kind Dark of... Dark Horse like comics. A, yeah, it was like a what yeah. if kind of comic, you know, it's like, what if this happened? And, and but, you know... It, ended up being a canon thing so uh it, it's cool and and a lot of the stuff that's been built up around the character of boba fett has uh one way or another affected how they've moved forward i think with this character so um in this show that's coming around like around the corner i guess is there anything particular that you're hoping to see i mean because you've out of the three of us you've consumed an incredible amount of boba fett <laughs> stuff more than at least i have so <laughs> well, probably fair to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's that's such an awesome question because I think I think a lot of times when you're in this situation as a fan, you don't want to get your hopes up too high, right? And set unrealistic expectations for what's going to happen. And I think of course the fact that there is all of this existing lore to pull from that would that you know that there's a all kinds of different directions they could be going in. You know, the fact that in the EU Boba Fett like is a father, he has a daughter and a, a granddaughter as well. Uh, you know, he was married. Yeah. So I think it would be really fascinating if they went down that path. I'm not sure if they like, again, it's all speculation. I'm not sure if they will necessarily because that can get very complicated and maybe too messy for a show like the book of Boba Fett. But it would be really fascinating if they did ex explore that. And of course, you know, Maybe I should give a spoiler warning for um, the Bad Batch, but we were introduced to a character who is all, another clone of Jango Fett, who, as far as we know, is female gendered. So what are the implications of that? We saw that character as a child. Yeah. They should be an adult around the time that the Book of Boba Fett is happening. So right. will we see Omega? I think that is probably something that is definitely not out of the question especially if this show has multiple uh, seasons yeah no it's it's true yeah because you know we've had our own conversations when we were talking about the bad batch about that character and uh a, a lot of mystery still surrounding omega um but i mean yeah the fact that she could be this pure genetic replication but just a female like is you know essentially she's just his sister. sister right so mm -hmm. yeah pretty much yeah so i yeah. mean like that that in itself is kind of a neat concept and um whether they'll roll with that and introduce her into this show is going to be uh it's going to blow me away at least if they do that because we're yeah. already, already expecting a season two of bad batch next summer so uh it's gonna i guess spoil the surprise of whether or not she lives not 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 i think they'll ever kill her off or anything but um but yeah it's definitely added like another layer to this uh, this ever-growing story uh, still for this character, which is really cool. Yeah, and it, I think it would also continue the precedent sent by the Mandalorian, which has a bit of the found family vibe with, of course, Mando and Grogu. 
of course yeah. now they're kind of split up since Grogu got handed off to Luke but there is that whole fan found family dynamic and I wouldn't yeah I, I think there's of course room for that in, in Boba Fett's world and would make things very interesting if he if he did encounter Omega and like what are the implications of that like you suddenly you know mm-hmm. you're too weathered grown grown adults who have endured all of these different hardships you know what do you do if you if you find someone who has a you know that tie to you like no one else has Mm -hmm. Uh, but it would be interesting because i would i would assume that omega probably maybe never even met jango fett so like does she even identify as a as a fett like would she want to be family with someone who's just well, I mean, she was a family with she was she identified the Bad Batch as her family, so maybe maybe Boba would feel like she would feel that kinship with him automatically. Like, yeah, yeah, like, I could I could see that I could definitely see that being a thing now that I'm talking through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking that too, kind of as you're explaining it, it, it. I think that is a direction they could definitely go, especially the fact that Dave wrote Omega like within a year probably or like a year back. So it'd be really fresh in his mind for a character that's relatable to Boba Fett to show up in the series. It's not like he's something that's, you know, estranged in the mind. Oh, yeah. And and probably, quite frankly, planned. Like the fact that, you know, he planted those seeds with the Clone Wars, with Bo-Katan and, uh, and others, right? You know, I'm sure that, that was something he, he told, uh, shoot, I forget her name, the woman who plays Bo-Katan. Um, oh, uh, yeah, uh, Katie uh, Sackhoff? Kate, yes, right? Yeah. He told her when they were filming the animated show, if we ever do a live version, I want you to play the, the, the character in the live version as well. Yeah. So clearly, even back then, when the show was still fully animation in that world, he had bigger plans. So I, I think it's yeah. all just part of his plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dave, you know, Dave, uh, Dave is such a good guy when it comes to handling i think what what star wars fans want um because you know he himself is just such a big fan and uh i love listening to the the stories that he shares of when he was at nickelodeon and um you know his recruitment process and being like the star wars guy you know at nickelodeon and uh just kind of the fluke that uh there were the recommendation that got him hired there but his phone call when they called them to, to offer him an interview and a job kind of thing uh, he just thought it was like complete hokum and, you know, didn't didn't think it was real. And then uh, and then kind of made a fool of himself over the phone when when he thought it was just a prank. But then he clued in. It was like legit. And he's like, oh, shoot. But uh, yeah, I've always uh, I've always really liked Dave. And, you know, he, I think he's got a really good grip on uh, like, again, like where these characters are going. And uh, to think that he's planned so, so far in advance for some things, if they work out a certain way. Uh, obviously doing Clone Wars and stuff, Daniel R- Logan came back and reprised the, the, the young Boba Fett that were introduced to an attack of the clones. And, um, I guess, uh, I don't know. Did you, uh, did, have you seen Clone Wars all the way through or? Yes. Okay. All right. So, um, okay. Hopefully I don't lose you on this then. So, <laughs> so with the Clone Wars, uh, they kind of, I don't know, at least I got this vibe from the show is like, uh, they really turned boba into uh this non-antagonist character like they kind of made this um uh this hero character out of him and in in a kind of an anti-hero protagonist way Mm -hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of moments that he 
had to make choices that he could have been a bad guy, but he he couldn't make those choices, right? And uh, it shows a couple times through the show. And, you know, I guess my question is, like, to you, is before this whole shift with uh, Clone Wars coming out and then the Disney buyout and the canonicity, like, thing and kind of overriding all what we knew in the EU and stuff like that, uh, before all that stuff, we just knew Boba Fett as a bounty hunter and as a villain. And I guess my question to you is like, has that changed your perspective of the character? Like originally being introduced to this cool villain character. And now we're looking at this character as a hero and getting his own show and stuff like that. Like, That's an interesting question because uh, yes, granted in empire strikes back, he's absolutely the villain, right? He, he, he's the one who takes Han Solo. And that is a huge disruptive element for the heroes of that film. So yeah, 100%. He's a villain. And of course, in Return of the Jedi, like he is, he is on them. He is, you know, him and him and Han have that confrontation. He's about to take out Han. And then, you know, of course, he fumbles into the Sarlacc, not his best moment, 100%. Um, but beyond that, you know, in the extended universe, I've never viewed Boba Fett as a villain. I've always seen him as this character who kind of, you know, as, a, as more of a gray character who kind of falls somewhere on between the good and bad on that moral alignment chart. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've never really viewed him as a villain. And in terms of where they're taking him now and where even the character development they had over the course of the Clone Wars, to me, it always felt in line with how I saw Boba Fett as just, you know, this, this man who has his own code. He has a job that basically is his life. He's a bounty hunter. That's a huge part of his identity. Uh, a bit, it's basically all he lives for and, and all, you know, he's, he's very good at it, and, but that consumes his life. Right. Mm-hmm. And in terms of whether that makes him good or bad, it's just, you know, it's just a profession, I think is what it comes down to. I don't think, you know, maybe he's, he's not necessarily the hero, but he's not the villain either. No, I think um, you're right on that. Cause he's not overtly cruel or anything. He's just trying to get the job done. Yeah. In fact, some of my favorite books that of course are no longer canon there was the tales of the bounty hunter a book series which if i if i had it nearby i'd I'd tell you the author in fact i i think i have it here on on a shelf but tales of the bounty hunters by kevin j anderson it's uh one of my favorite star wars books that's uh that's a legendary star wars book in the eu yeah Yeah, it it is it's really good and is that the one that introduced the bounty hunters guild yeah i think so i think so yep um, so there's some really great Boba Fett content in that book. And I think it's in this book where there's a short story with Boba Fett and he's offered Princess Leia, like Jabba the Hutt presents Leia to him at Jabba's palace. And it's a really gross scene because the implication is that like Boba Fett can have his way with Leia if he wants to. And he doesn't like he doesn't touch her he just let like she's presented in his room and he just leaves her be and, and doesn't touch her he doesn't even take off his armor for that matter he stay like he he huh. uh just lets her stay the night and sleep and because for him doing that sort of thing would be immoral and like he he comes out and says that i think he you know, Boba Fett is kind of the poster boy for straight edge lifestyle in this particular story, because he says, 
he says something like sex between those unmarried is immoral. Like that's what he says. Something along those yeah, lines. Not just, something you'd expect from a villain. That's for <laughs> sure. Precisely. And <laughs> this was, so this was probably one of one of the first books I read about Boba Fett outside of like seeing him in the, in the movies and be like, Oh my God, he's like, that character's fascinating. I have to know more. And like, as a young woman, I was just like, wow, you know, here's this, you know, a, a typical like masculine character that you think would be like rude or hostile. And in this scenario, he's not. And, you know, maybe you could say, like, well, he probably shouldn't be in, hanging around with people like Jabba the Hutt who are going to offer him women as compensation. Like, yeah, not necessarily the best people to affiliate with, but it does stand that, you know, he has certain views. He has his own moral compass. And for him in that moment, his moral compass told him, like, this is a vulnerable woman. This is off limits and I'm not going yeah. to touch her or violate her. That's that's very admirable. I mean, like, um, and I love the fact that I actually didn't know that at all. Uh, I've never read that book, but that's uh, thanks for bringing that to my attention because that's um, that actually gives a whole lot of insight to even how this character was perceived back then when that book was coming out. Absolutely. Because, yeah, um, because I guess you know, to a guy like George, who kind of he's just like the, the 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 maker, I guess, right? He makes all these things, and then I guess it's up to the fandom and people writing these books and stuff that kind of shape those characters in the the smaller ways and um it's it's amazing to me that this character that was created as kind of this antagonist has very quickly became uh a hero in the eyes of the fans right uh so um in this new show uh, i noticed that one of the more notable things he says in the trailer is that um is that he's no longer a bounty hunter and that unlike jabba who ruled with fear he's gonna be ruling with respect right and um i guess in line with the clone wars when he's like a young boy he's still very uh he has a bit of a darker phase where he tries to assassinate uh master windu and um in revenge for his father Django and and uh, what happened on geonosis and he kind of falls into this group with a couple other bounty hunters one of them being a really bad influence on him which is aura singh and uh once a, who was once a business partner i guess with Django and um, in the EU, I, I read the Boba Fett scholastic books, like the thin little ones. There was five of them. Uh, did you read those? Did you guys both read those? You know, I, I don't I can't say that I did. I think I think they were geared toward a younger audience. And I think by the I think at the time that they came out, I was probably in high school or something. So, OK, yeah, yeah I think were, that was the same for me. <laughs> OK, um, OK. I think I was I was probably in elementary school when these I think I was in elementary school when these came out. But um, these were um, when did these come out? So there was Boba Fett, The Fight to Survive, Crossfire, Maze of Deception, Hunted, A New Threat and Pursuit. And so it was just those six books. and. Um, when was the first one published? This was uh, 2002. So um, it was, I guess, some of the first scholastic Star Wars books that kind of took place in the EU. And uh, it was around the same time as the Jedi Quest series and and Jedi Apprentice and all that stuff. Um, but uh, you got a, a, a bit of a story of like what young Bobo is doing after Attack of the Clones and the loss of his father. And uh, in that series, Django leaves a journal for him to kind of follow and it kind of guides him and shapes him into this bounty hunter. And uh, along the way, he has encounters with Count Dooku and uh, Orisang and Dirge and, you know, all these characters that we kind of, uh, I guess, were familiar at the time existing in that era. And even at one point, he crossed paths with Anakin Skywalker. 
And it was very similar in the canon version where we see him grow up through the course of that show uh, throughout different story arcs. And one of the ones that sticks out to me is this darker phase where he's kind of like, he wants to kill Windu, but he's he's not willing to do absolutely everything it takes. And um, he chooses not to kill some of the hostages that they have. And um, there was uh, there was one moment where um, I guess Ahsoka and Plo Koon kind of kind of corner him, and and Aura gets away, and she you know they're going to kill the hostages and everything, but they've got Boba there, and he knows where the hostages are, and and Hondo's there, who's this like pirate kind of scumbag character that we all love to death, and they made him a thing in Disneyland, which is awesome. Um, but <laughs> I uh, I've always loved Hondo as a character, but but I, probably because he's a bit more scummy, and you know he's not the most likable guy, but he also kind of is. And uh, when Plo Koon is asking Boba, he's like, Boba, like, tell us where the hostages are. Like, if we don't find them, they're going to die. And, you know, Boba is like, has this moment of like, why should I help anyone? I've got no one. And he's still like, so hurting from the loss of his father, right? And who's the only guy in the galaxy that cared for this person who is like a clone of himself. And, you know, he's got no family. He's got nobody, right? And uh, all the influence he's got in his life is just this this negative kind of these these bad people and um and hondo is the one person he leans over and he says tell the jedi what he wants to know booba you know and then he's like why and he's like it's what your father would have wanted it's the honorable thing to do and i was like oh that's so cool like even from just a young age like this this guy is like, you know, the scumbag is like even telling Boba, hey, it's okay to have a coat, you know, like, yeah, you can be this lawless outsider. But uh, if you don't have a coat, you're nobody. And you're this kind of off the the hook villain that that nobody's going to like anyways, right? So um, I think it's also me- interesting in that story, because it shows that even people like Hondo, who are just straight up scumbags, even they respect Django. Yeah. And well, even they have a a conscience, right? Like there's these um, people that are hostages that are kind of, you know, they're just going to be executed. And even even a guy like Hondo knows the consequence and the 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 negativity that comes out of that. Right. So even he kind of encourages Bo is like, hey, tell them what they want to know, because it's the honorable thing to do. Um, These people don't deserve to die kind of thing. Right. And uh, and that's really stuck with the consistency that this character has um, even with this show coming out and, and you know, this character to me now is this um, yeah, he's got some shady business on the side, but like he's kind of a protagonist in the way that the Mandalorian is like, he's a bounty hunter, but he's a man with honor. Right. And, uh, and that's a really important thing for fans to read about and to, um, you know, not fall head over heels in love with a villain because they're the bad guy, but or because they're cool. But um, yeah, sometimes you can't yeah. resist a villain, though. I mean, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, yeah, people love Darth Vader as well, right? He's that's one of, true. He's, yeah. He's, gosh, true. if he's not the most popular character, I don't know who is. Like, right. you know, Vader's everywhere. There's and you know, um, people get excited when they see someone dressed up in a Darth Vader costume, right? Even kids, like kids I see Darth, Darth Vader, Vader and they're yeah. like, yeah, I want a picture with Darth Vader. You know, it's, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes he killed you just millions can't... of people, but he looks cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, it's just sometimes that, that whole cool element is you, you just can't get past that. And, you know, that's, yeah. uh, you know, you know, 
for what it's worth, if a villain is hot, like, you know, oh, who cares, right? Like, <laughs> right, that, that's right. me we with Loki and the lot. Avengers is like, well, you know, okay, he killed 80 people in three days or whatever, but he's got gorgeous blue eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, on this documentary, they, um, they went over the fact that this costume was originally painted silver and then they went over it with the other colors and everything. Um, what I thought was interesting was having it originally painted silver and then painted over with other stuff, I guess, being the primer color. When they did that again for Attack of the Clones, I, I remember listening to a documentary or, or some behind the scenes clip where George walked in when it was still in the primer kind of silvery look and he liked that color a lot and they just stuck with that and refined it for Django. Um, when Attack of the Clones came out, like, I guess, were you very surprised about this new introduction of Boba having a father and he's actually a clone yeah. and everything? That is, that is such a great question. And I wish I could give a more satisfying answer. So I, of course, saw Attack of the Clones in theaters, but this was at a stage in my life where I didn't have my Boba Fett fetish yet. So <laughs> I was probably in middle school. And again, I remember I had mentioned earlier that like the, I guess the, the Boba Fett fetish hit me when I was in high school and rewatching the original trilogy on DVD for the first time in years. Cause I, I don't think we had them at the, on VHS at that time, or if we did, they're like busted up and they're just difficult to watch. So uh, when I did watch attack of the clones in theaters, I didn't know the significance of that moment. And I just yeah. thought like, Oh, okay. There's this other, you know, ambiguous, like the trilogy, the, the, um, what is it? The, the sequel trilogy is just full of chock full of villains, right? So to yeah. me, Jango Fett was just like, oh, it's another bad guy that the Jedi have to fight. And yeah, he looks cool. But I, yeah, the significance of it went way over my head because I had not gotten invested as I become into Boba Fett and Mandalorian. So I was but a wee, wee baby at the time. <laughs> Middle schooler. Sounds Sounds similar to our situation then. We yeah. were we weren't old enough to really understand that transition, but I've read online that that's like a really heated issue. I'm sure it's simmered down now, but when that first like that story was revealed and yeah. you found out that Boba was a clone, people got really mad. I'm curious as a like being someone who's really involved in that community, if that's still something that people are spurned about. Yeah. You know, I imagine there will always be people who are salty about the sequel trilogy and it is what it is. Right. So if you grew up and you're from a certain generation and you grew up watching these films, the original trilogy, and obviously that sets a high bar for you that, that, and I respect that, like that sets such a high bar. It's something that, you know, resonated with you as a child. And then once that sequel trilogy comes out, of course, those expectations are going to be super high, but they're also going to be different because you're now an adult and you're not that five-year-old or that 10-year-old when you were sitting in the theater watching A New Hope for the first time. You know, you're, you're a very different person and you have different likes and different preferences. And, you know, Jar Jar Binks isn't going <laughs> to resonate with a grown adult the way that, <laughs> uh, you know, a 10-year-old looks at that character and, and laughs when, you know, he, when Qui-Gon, you know, grabs his tongue or, you know, those other goofy little um, things that happened in the film. So I, you know, I think there will always be people who are salty about the, the, the sequels. There are the prequels and there are people who are salty about the, the sequels. It, it is what it is, right? Um, yeah. I, I think there's, there's a Star Wars trilogy for every generation. And for me, like, that's good enough. And, 
there are characters and there are certain stories that I like within the, this universe and that's good enough for me. And I think more people could, would be happier if they probably had that perspective as well. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, what, what I thought was interesting from uh, the, uh, the, the documentary, uh, I knew that, technically his first on-screen appearance was in the holiday special in the animated uh, animated segment that they did uh what i didn't know was that his first appearance to the world was at the uh, san uh, anselmo california parade in 1978 uh and that they used the on-screen costumes just to walk down the street both that, the, boba and vader i thought that was that so blew cool. my mind yeah that blew, i was like no way they could never do that today screen oh, costumes yeah. in a parade oh, never yeah yeah i didn't know that either until i watched the uh under the helmet yeah yeah i thought that I was think really neat it's just a testament to george right because he's such a community-based guy so he just went yeah. like the local town by the ranch he just brought all, he's like well we have the costumes just bring them yeah I'll just suit, uh, suit, you know, Bill up in the costume and get him to walk down the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. Um, yeah, George, George is like such a small town kind of, uh, you know, farmer guy, right? Like he's just a, uh, he's a normal dude. And he, you know, he's never been Hollywood. He's never liked Hollywood. And um, he's an admirable filmmaker in, in, in those respects for, uh, you know, just being so normal but uh the fact that he has this love for his community and and just you know he's got these what are now priceless <laughs> on set like things that you know I'm, I'm sure those costumes would go for hundreds of thousands of dollars um today and uh i don't even know where they are they're probably just somewhere in you know the lucas archives or whatever but or the um, back room of rancho obi-wan yeah maybe <laughs> if he's lucky to have so, those yeah but. sometimes those costumes do go on tour though yeah 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 that's like right they've got yeah. them on display at, at different places right yeah and um i mean to to i don't know i i guess maybe to be somebody who lived in that neighborhood and seeing that during the parade and not even knowing who this character was um and then going to the movie and seeing him there and and everything that's that's kind of cool but then to be that fan today, to know the significance of being at that parade must be kind of mind boggling. You know, uh, I guess if anyone's out there listening who has a story of this parade, who was there, uh, you know, I'd love to hear it. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's such a such a neat kind of thing. I also didn't know that the cloak acts as a poncho. I don't know. I got I got all this crazy stuff from this documentary. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, there's uh, that that ties into the the concept art for Boba Fett. I think he was originally drawn with, with the poncho, or at least I've seen concept art with him with the, yeah. the poncho on. Um, so yeah, it is it's multi purpose. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys wonderful that, see uh, it yeah. in the in the live action? If you're going to poncho mode, yeah, yeah, pin it over there. Yeah, I mean, it would uh, stop him from getting burned from the jetpacks. Maybe that's the idea. It's got to button it up. Right. I I um I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when when I saw the footage of him in this parade, uh, they hadn't removed the little Rex ears that they've got painted on his forehead. Still, those are still on the helmet when he was walking down the street. So, um, I, I guess it makes me wonder whether or not it's the same helmet in the movie that just got painted over, or if they made another one, and if this helmet actually still exists, which is kind of cool to think about as well. But um yeah. yeah yeah i think that was the pre-production costume i think that's how it, that costume has been referred to the one with the the eyes on the helmet 
Yeah. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I can't, I'm sure at one point I've read when those decisions were made in terms of like what alterations happened right before filming, but I don't remember them anymore. But I, I yeah, there, there's like a very specific kit that is called the pre-production kit. And I think his gloves were also different too. Oh, okay. Were they, uh, oh, were they the big yellow ones? I think, um, I'm just, Maybe. I'm pre proto. Yeah, it's pre proto one. You guys have this all on your site too. I'm just looking at it. Yeah, right now. <laughs> yes. They're, 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 that that website. I mean, all the credit goes to Aaron and other contributors, of course. But I think largely Aaron has just been amassing all of this data for 25 years now, and it is like it is. It's it's a repository of everything you could ever want to know about Boba Fett, from the costumes to you know EU, the um, you know current canon, old canon merchandise yeah it's fan films fan fiction fan art it, you name it it's there yeah yeah it's pretty unbelievable it's uh it's quite the database um so anyone listening should definitely go check it out um jeremy bullock had a cameo in revenge of the sith as a captain for bail organa this kind of blew me away because <laughs> i had no idea that that was him this entire time oh wow <laughs> yeah i don't know about you guys but but that was something i pulled as well from this documentary that i thought was uh, that i thought that was interesting yeah that took me by surprise too I had no idea <laughs> yeah and uh and then the last thing i pulled which i, I just have to mention was um George, George has a little quote. Uh, I, I guess I don't know. I, I thought it was cool that they maybe this is old footage, maybe it's new. I have no idea. But um, the fact that they had him in this documentary was, you know, well deserved. Uh, and he said in just his own simple way, "I would like him, and he was a good character, and I came and needed another one, so I did Django Fett." <laughs> 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 yeah i love that instead of making some new characters like man, people like this one just use it again yeah and i think that's like earlier you asked about like people were peeved about that and i get it because it's like it does feel like oh you had one successful hit character let's try to recreate the magic by just kind of you know i could see how it feels shoehorned in right to say yeah like, you know, Jango Fett is here and he's the template for the clone army. As I, I think there was, of course, allusions to what the Clone Wars was based off of the old canon. And I mean, it wasn't th something that authors could really touch. But of course, mm -hmm. you know, people who had been following the canon for years had built up all of these things in their head about what the Clone Wars could be. And it turned out you know, in reality, it was a bounty hunter who was who was cloned and served as the template for a clone army. So I can get why that can feel a little shoehorned, yeah. especially if you've built up all of these different stories in your head about what the Clone Wars might be. You know, it, it like something it, Clone Wars. It sounds like super intriguing. Like, you know, are clones fighting each other? You know, who's being cloned? You know, what sort of like debates are going on in terms of science and ethics and yeah. Um, which, quite frankly, I wish we did see more of that in Star Wars, even the Clone Wars animated series, right? It's like, it's a, it's hinted at every now and then. Like, there was a couple episodes where there's like the one Jedi who was blatantly antagonistic towards, towards clones because he felt like they were just... Krell. Yeah, yeah they're just these yeah. throwaway, um, you know, cannon fodder, essentially. Not yeah. human beings with real thoughts and feelings and yeah. you know wants and desires and all of that nope just just cannon fodder so that was alluded to but i think not to not to the extent that i think 
more interesting. Uh, you know, some, something that you can't do yeah. on children's a children's animated series, right? That kind of reminds me, though, because I know people when they saw Boba in Return of the Jedi when it when it came out, they, George just kind of killed him off, kind of offhandedly, and people got mad about that. So it's funny to think that he then used him to make make him into the clone template to then kill him off millions more times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, that there's something to be. There. <laughs> There's something maybe to be said about that. <laughs> There's always been a special relationship between the fandom and George Lucas. <laughs> this is very true. It's like, what are you trying to tell us, George? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, uh, it's, it's of course, fans that uh, become the authors of some of these older books and stuff. And, and even on the EU, I mean, you know, right away brought them back. And um, it's been a long time that I've read that since I've read this, uh, the, I think it was Legacy 2. It was Bloodline. Is it uh, the Boba Fett focused legacy of the Jedi yeah. or something? It was Bloodlines. Yeah. It, yep, yeah. it was Bloodlines. Bloodlines. Okay, yeah. So I read, I listened to that one on audio, probably close to fifteen years ago or whenever it was like first a new a new book. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I remember, I think that's the one that he comes back and he's you know like Boba's back kind of thing. And um, I, I thought it was really cool even back then, like when. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, this character's dead. It's like, oh, psych, you know, he's not really. And <laughs> and uh, so, like, in the fandom, like, we've always, I guess, wanted this character to have not such a useless kind of fall down the hole and perish kind of thing. It's, it's just like a, uh, you know, like, nobody cares for that. But um, at least yeah. a cool death, not just die like a chump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, something, I don't know. At least Django had a lightsaber, you know, like, to his head kind of thing that's and he got something. like like bulldozered over by that giant um yeah horned yeah. creature the, first yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah he, his, he was not on his a game no he's not and um i guess you know like father like son both both deaths uh i guess both well one death and one kind of death um I, both of them had something to do with a broken jetpack so um it's cautionary tale there. yeah 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 exactly so uh, very very cool um do you think that the end credit scene for that documentary i noticed there was a bit of a song that was playing that seemed orchestrated for that that documentary i was thinking to myself like this could be the song that they play in the end credits for the show which is like not only a month away um possible i don't know so you might be blowing my mind right now. Was there an end credit scene? No. Uh, or- it, this was the, the Under the Helmet documentary. When it ends, there was like a song that plays through the oh, credits. Oh, okay. And it, it, it just kind of had this vibe about it. I was like, this is very hmm. unique, right? Like, And I was, I, I, it had had me thinking of the Boba Fett trailer a little bit. And I was like, I wonder if this is the same song that's going to play at the end of every episode kind of like the mandalorian oh, there's that song yeah, that plays yeah. and you know yeah, so not a theme one. song because i know we we were introduced to boba's theme song in mandalorian season two so right. this would be just a credit theme just a credit talking. song yeah okay. exactly the end credit song so i don't know take another look and and uh i don't know um come come up with a theory or something because yeah i, I, <laughs> I think know. that's I was, a good theory i think that's pretty reasonable for sure. I, I admittedly watched it very la- last night and it was pretty tired and went to bed right after finishing it. So I might not have heard a single note from the end credits. Song. Oh, well, thanks for cramming that in before today. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Boba Fett, you know, great character. Um, and I don't want to take up your whole night. Uh, we've been chatting for about an hour now, but, um, is there anything that you're like 
really looking forward to seeing in this like show that's right around the corner or anything yeah. anything any last minute thing that you guys have to say about kind of the uh this crazy fandom that's come out of this singular entity <laughs> yeah well in terms of you know i kind of touched on some of the theories that what ifs in terms of like what what might we see but i i think i'll i'll conclude with some maybe some wishes for what i these might be kind of tall orders but in terms of what i would absolutely love to see um i think it would be really incredible if they could kind of pull off something with you know how they dh luke um because tamora morrison is playing boba fett he played Django fett i think it would be incredible if they did some flashbacks to maybe a younger boba and a, and a jang and Django moments just to kind of maybe explore more of that relationship yeah so talking about wishes for the series and that are probably unlikely to happen because giant fan expectations often do not come to happen unless unless you happen to be a teenager who one day hoped for more boba fett content and got a tv show which could be is, is said to be is, is true for my situation and, probably and hey that's a tall others. order as so it is, is a, yeah. it is a pretty tall order so why not sky's the limit as far as i'm concerned because if you'd asked me you know 12 years ago or more if a boba fett tv show is going to happen i was like no like never that's not going to be a thing <laughs> true and then we got the whole josh trank debacle so like maybe this is never going to happen <laughs> yeah i guess i guess the idea of this show is kind of well not only kind of coming out of mandalorian but it also the the un pre-production version of the boba fett movie that we never got a couple years ago do you remember that like when we did all the we had that star wars story lineup that was announced and they were going to be doing all these spin-offs and josh trank was supposed to be directing a, a movie that was unconfirmed but everyone knew it was going to be boba fett and um <laughs> and then it was later confirmed to yeah it was going to be a boba fett movie and uh, yeah. They had similar plans for an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, and both mm -hmm. those characters now have their own shows, I guess. That's so. right, because the Han Solo movie didn't do as well as expected, and they said, you know what, let's let's yeah. let's cut mm -hmm. let's kind of can, let's or postpone these other character spin-offs. But and I think it's a good thing, because I think the shows are gonna allow us to tell much richer, deeper stories. Totally. And I agree entirely. Yeah, I think it was a blessing in disguise. It really was. Yeah. And I remember, I think there were a lot of us, myself included, who kind of groaned when Disney Plus wasn't, was announced. Like, oh, like, can I, like this new streaming, like another streaming service. And yeah. oh, these, yeah. like all these Marvel shows are going to come out and you have to watch them to understand the films. Like, this is going to be worth it. And lo and behold, I'm not a disappointed customer. I'm very happy with the content that's been coming out of Disney Plus. Um, yeah. Star Wars, of course, included in that. And yeah, so with with this show, I think there's it is going to allow us to tell like a much richer, deeper story than any movie could about Boba Fett. Because if they had leaned into a Boba Fett movie, it just would have been like a straight up generic action film. Like, sure, there might have been some really awesome action scenes, um, you know, but probably a pretty mediocre story. Yeah, like, I was crossing I, my fingers to be like an old style western or maybe something like uh, like Logan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Something something gritty would be interesting, but you know, it would be it would be a huge risk for the Star Wars entity to do something that that different, something that you know is is outside of what they're typically typically offering from these films. But the shows have been able to expand on that, like The Mandalorian has been able to expand on that in really interesting ways, where it's not just you know 
about it's about the like you can hone in on much smaller more interesting stories and for that 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 does excite me and like i like i was saying before i think for boba like the boba fett show the book of boba fett what i would love to see is if they were to do some flashbacks with tamora morrison playing Django fett that would just blow my mind like let's dig yeah. into that character's backstory more because Django fett is such a huge component of boba fett and his identity like Django Fett molded him, even at a young age, was molding him into a warrior, into a bounty hunter. But that bond of was, of course, cut uh, cut very early in Bo- in Boba's life, and he saw his dad get killed, and that's a traumatic incident. And a young young kid grows into a you know traumatic <laughs> teenager, and probably into an adult who has a lot of unresolved issues and. Um, you know, maybe an identity issues too. Like you grow up to be an individual, like what if you grew up to look exactly like your father, the person you call dad, you grew up, you grew up not just to look similar to them, but to be identical to them. That's got to cause all kinds of weird conflicting emotions. Right. And so I, like, I want to see more of that in Boba Fett. Like, yes, bring on the action, bring on the cool gadgets, but Let's get to explore the psyche of Boba Fett. That's what I really, really want to see from this show. And I, I hope it does deliver on that end. Totally. Yeah. No, that's well said. I And, you know, I love your appreciation for Django, too, because I feel like he's a character that goes on. on uh, he's kind of like an underdog, uncredited or I guess not enough recognized, you know, because Boba, of course, being the original. But, yeah, I, I've always loved Django as well. And I know there was a... I don't know if you ever played the Bounty Hunter video game. I have. Came out. You have. I okay. have. Yes. So there, so there is some sort of EU backstory for anyone out there who does want to know more about Django and how he came to be the template clone and all that stuff. And it was a really cool story. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm hoping that um, at least I don't, I don't know about you, Blake, but I, I'm hoping to have those flashbacks as well. Like going back to Return of the Jedi, and I mean, um, heck, even if they do throw in like some quick like three scene sequence of like Django talking to like a really young Boba or something when he's a kid. That'd be cool. And they could still use, sorry, they, they could still use Daniel Logan as well. So we could try to do something along those lines, which is totally possible. They could do that. Yeah. Yeah. I know they brought in, uh, what's his name that did John Connor when he was in like Terminator 2, John Connor, um, uh, the actor, they brought him in for Dark Fate, the, the, the sequence where they killed him off. I don't know what he did because like that John Connor that they killed in the first scene, spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen Dark Fate, but um, they it was a completely CG kind of young John Connor that was made to look like he did in Terminator 2. But they brought him in. Uh, is, it, is it Eddie or Freddy something or another? Anyway, uh, they brought him in for for the shoot. And I don't really know why because he's so much older and they didn't de-age him, but maybe <laughs> they just had him there for the heck of saying that they could had him there, you know? Um bringing daniel logan into this series would be uh would be so cool and you know like he's been so good about coming back and doing the voice for boba in the animated series and and there's um, a link right so he's been working with dave filoni this entire time yeah yeah exactly and uh i mean him and tomorrow have had this special relationship too because you know they're both uh from new zealand and you know uh they both have that that look and voice about them and on set when he was like at this young kid tomorrow is like this jolly guy and he's just like all right daniel like how about you call me dad and i'll call you son and that's it <laughs> so yeah, the, yeah. the whole movie they just call each other that just to kind of get into character a bit more but i thought that was really 
really neat. So they've got a they've got a special bond. I would love to see on screen again as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you know. I think there's definitely an opportunity there because you know I think Daniel's in his 30s now, which yeah. is yeah, because I think I'm like close to his age, and um, and but you know you can de-age someone to their 30s to look like a teenager pretty easily, like makeup, <laughs> yeah. good lighting. You know, yeah. if he were to play like an early 20s fet i boba fett i think i would be down to see that i think that could be really exciting to see yeah and now my cat is screaming in the background so i apologize if that picks up on the mic <laughs> he's, he's he's telling us to get off the phone <laughs> <laughs> well it is his dinner time <laughs> uh blake did you have any last minute thing before we sign off here i'm just curious on your take on boba from what we know him into turning into a crime lord to me that because yeah. As you were sharing, he's kind of always been like an honorable kind of like a dark hero-esque character, at least from the old EU. And I feel like everything we know about crime syndicates in the Star Wars universe is they're always the scummiest. (laughs) So that seems like a a very interesting direction. Um, I personally don't, I wouldn't have seen him going that direction. So even on that level, like, were you expecting something like that? Yeah, I can't say that I was. I think that's a really, really good question because that, I think like a lot of people, that post-credit scene in The Mandalorian definitely took me took, took me aback a bit. It was like, wow, like I would not have seen them going in this direction necessarily. So I think clearly there's a story there that they want to tell. I, you know, I, I think I would be a little disappointed if they made Boba Fett lean into that really hard and he kind of lost that in- that moral compass that has made him interesting. Now the fact that they they he's mentioned in the trailer like I'm going to rule, you know, I'm not going to rule with fear or what I'm sorry, Jabba said he said Jabba ruled with what? Fear or Yeah, yeah Jabba ruled with fear and I, I I intend to rule with respect or something like that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So there's that seems to suggest like he's wants to do better or at least have a different he's gonna have a different rule set that he's going to use to play this game which i think will be really interesting and you know their trailer definitely has conflict in it so my i would speculate that there are people who are not going to just kind of roll over and sit and be like oh okay boba fett's the new you know the new crime lord now he's he's the He's the the head honcho, right? I think people like there's gonna there's gonna be other big personalities who are not that that's just not gonna sit very well with, and they're gonna fight back. And oh, for sure. And to rule through respect, you have to earn that respect first, right? Right. And here's this individual who was, for all we know, kind of just walking around the desert for a while. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so people, Boba Fett has fallen off the grid, right? People are not going to know that he's even still alive. So it, it's going to, I think you've got a really valid point that it is, I think there's going to be a lot of that built into the storytelling of having to maybe re, rebuild that reputation of, um, of who he is and what he's capable of. Yeah. Um, yeah. And real quick, actually, uh, <laughs> before we, I always keep thinking of one more thing um, in the EU, there was this whole storyline where, cause we've talked about it before and, um, and uh, where he became uh, uh, the Mandalore, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the leader of uh, the Mandalorian people. And um, by watching the Mandalorian, like with the 
traveling dark saber story uh uh being passed from person to person now it's dinjarin's and and it's like it's kind of looking like he's going to be the mandalore um and so he's kind of stealing that storyline from boba so yeah this whole crime lord thing is very interesting because it's like instead of this one leadership position that he's kind of intended for in the eu he's kind of in the canon going a different route and they're kind of making him a little more into dirtier uh, yeah a little more into the roots of the underworld kind of like where he thrived all this time but just in a different seat literally (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it it kind of it does make sense in some ways because it's really the only life he's ever known is that that underworld so in some respects you know the the transition to being mandalore is 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 a bit of a leap right and um you know my memory's kind of fuzzy because it's been a long time since i've read those books um but, you know, it was, it was also a very different Boba Fett because it was a Boba Fett that had family and family that resurfaced. And, you know, as we were talking about earlier, they could allude to that maybe to a lesser extent that could still happen or it could happen through Omega and not necessarily a biological daughter or a wife that he had. Um, so there's yeah, I think there's that obviously softens a person having those those connections where this Boba <laughs> that we now have doesn't have those connections or those those reasons for him those motivations for him to step out of of the the lifestyle that he's so entrenched in yeah yeah totally um well we're all very excited to see the show and uh uh just uh also a huge thank you jess for coming on chatting with us yeah you know. thank you for having me this was a lot of fun especially like i've never met either of you before but you were both really great to talk to so Oh, Thank thanks so you. much. Yeah, we appreciate yeah, it a lot. It was, it was a fun time. We almost should do a, a reunion podcast after the series is out and kind of talk about where we thought it was going to go and what really happened. Yeah, oh yeah. Gosh, I'd be very yes. curious to see what your thoughts are after the show's finished. Yeah. So if yeah, you're up for it, uh, we'd love to have you back. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Let's do a round two. <laughs> and my, my thanks to Aaron as well for uh, sending us your way. And, um, you know, and anyone listening, uh, go check out uh the uh boba fett fan club.com is it and yeah Bo- yep. boba fett fan club.com and uh what, what are the social media handles that you want to give out i believe all of them are just boba fett fan club like on twitter instagram if you search for those accounts the, the, i think he shortens them to bffc on different social media channels but it's pretty easy to find yeah. and his branding's pretty consistent throughout for you know, everywhere where the BFFC is represented, but it really is a fantastic site. And Aaron is absolutely a, a fantastic person, just a really genuine person, really passionate about Star Wars and Boba Fett, obviously, for yeah. running a website after all these years. And every once in a while, they might have been taken down, but there were some t- there's some T-shirts that he sells with uh, the BFFC logo on them, and all of the proceeds go to charity. So that's awesome. If you're looking for any new boba fett apparel to flaunt after uh, after the book of boba fett or leading up to the book of boba fett i highly recommend um ordering those those shirts whenever they go out they're really awesome and there's all kinds of varieties there's fantastic art and a lot of it has like boba fett you can get pretty much any rendition of boba fett you can think of (laughs) like concept art boba fett you know empire strikes back uh, return of the jedi all of the different boba fett variants 
they're represented on the, that t-shirt. You get, you get the, the new one? one. You get the, the Mandalorian version where he's got I believe so. The yeah, there's leggings. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Yeah, there was a there was a rearmored edition that went out for the 25th anniversary. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, I'm going to need to find this link or if you, I don't know if there's a if there's a link to this store page or anything like that, I yeah. can uh, I can just definitely drop it down in the description of this podcast episode for anyone listening. So um, that would be that would be fantastic. So yeah, uh, thanks, Jess. I guess we'll I guess we'll chat to you in the in in the coming months uh, whenever whenever the show's finished, and uh, we'll try and get you back on here. So yeah, thanks so much. I had a great time. Likewise, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Big round of applause to Jess. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, we we really loved uh, having you on for a chat. We would love to chat with you again, follow up uh, about the book of Boba Fett when that's over. So I will be in touch. And uh, Aaron, thank you so much for sending us uh, towards Jess, and uh, you are also welcome to come on the show anytime. Uh, we love the Boba Fett fan club, and uh, you know I encourage all our listeners to go and check out the sites that I linked in the description as well as their social media feeds. Uh, make sure you check out their merchandise store as well. All the shirts uh, or uh, profits go towards charity, so that's a, that's a great thing. And uh, the best way to help us out is to share the show with a friend. It's ad-free and everything, so we don't make any money off this. Um, but we love to see that people tune into the show. So, uh, you know, that's a great way to help us out. Dropping those reviews and, uh, you know, they're just posting on social media. Hey, I listen to Star Wars Escape Pod and, you know, throw us in the post. At SW Escape Podcast. That's our Twitter handle, Instagram. You know, be sure to check both of them out. And, uh, you know, we'd love to uh, see the numbers go up as far as listenership. It's always the goal. It's always the goal. Um, but uh, I guess until next episode, we're going to be chatting about various other things in the coming weeks leading up to the book of Boba Fett. We got a what if episode on Boba Fett, or what happened? Sorry, not what if. What happened with Boba Fett? Uh, and as you know, the what happened sub series is all about the beginning to end story arc of a character in the existing forms of canonicity that we have. So that's going to be a big one. And uh, we're really looking forward to getting into that before the Book of Boba premieres on Disney Plus at the end of December. Until next episode, guys, may the Force be with you, and we'll see you in the next one.